Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Former U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy says the most common pathology he saw during his years of service was not heart disease or diabetes, it was loneliness. Independent of race, education, and ethnicity, more than a quarter of American adults suffer from loneliness. There's plenty of literature extolling its virtues, lifting up the ways that the pain of loneliness can be a crucible for change. I don't buy it. Chronic loneliness has been equated to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is deadly. Let me be quick to distinguish loneliness from solitude. In the silence of solitude, we can hear our inner voice. In The Republic, Plato writes, alone but not lonely, the philosopher becomes attuned to their inner self. The soundless dialogue which the soul holds with herself becomes audible. Our Unitarian forebearer, Ralph Waldo Emerson, spoke of the importance of solitude, that nature may speak to the imagination as she never does in company. American historian Hannah Arendt said she never longed for companionship or craved camaraderie because she was never truly alone. Her inner voice was a friend with whom she could carry on a conversation. Even the extroverts among us can benefit from some talking only to ourselves, if only to give the introverts a break. In stark contrast, in loneliness, marked by acute emotional anguish, our inner scream becomes deafening, deadening, and severs the thread of connection to other lives. This morning, I invite us into a deep, hard consideration of loneliness and the end of loneliness. Loneliness is not always about being alone. Some of the most soul-searing loneliness to which I have borne witness is actually in members of a couple. Addiction, betrayal, disappointment, unfinished business, or simply lives going somehow in opposite directions is a unique loneliness. There is someone there, but the intimacy has been compromised or broken. Bulgarian essayist Marie Popova writes, you can be lonely anywhere, 
but there is a particular flavor to the loneliness that comes from living in a city surrounded by millions of people. Cities can be lonely places, and in admitting this, we see that loneliness doesn't necessarily require physical solitude, but rather an absence or paucity of connection, closeness, and kinship an inability for one reason or another to find as much intimacy as is desired. Hardly any wonder then that it can reach its apotheosis in a crowd. What does it feel like to be lonely? It feels like being hungry, like being hungry when everyone around you is readying for a feast. It feels shameful and alarming, and over time these feelings radiate outward, making the lonely person increasingly isolated, increasingly estranged. If loneliness has a usefulness, a meaning, it's an alarm, a wake-up call. We need to choose differently. Here are five remedies. Number one, in her book, My Favorite Things, American artist Myra Kalman writes, go out and walk. That is the glory of life. Take a walk or a roll, however you ambulate, get yourself out and go on foot or on wheels. In British author Olivia Lang's book, The Lonely City, Adventures in the Art of Being Alone, she writes from her perspective of time as a lonely newcomer from London to New York. Being outside, she says, was a source of satisfaction, even pleasure. Sometimes as I walked, roaming under the stanchions of the Williamsburg Bridge or following the East River all the way to the silvery hulk of the UN, I could forget my sorry self, becoming instead as porous and borderless as the mist pleasurably adrift on the currents of the city. Walking, she felt herself breaking free of the prison of loneliness and re-inhabiting the space of trust and love. She continues, I didn't get this feeling when I was in my apartment. Only when I was outside, either entirely alone or submerged in a crowd. In these situations, I felt liberated from the persistent weight of loneliness, the sensation of wrongness, the agitation around stigma and judgment and visibility. In 1861, several years after American naturalist Henry David Thoreau wrote Walden, he published a treatise called Walking. I have always loved his assertion that walking connects us with our essential wildness. That spring of spiritual vitality methodically dried up by our sedentary civilization. But it is perhaps only now, in reflecting on loneliness, that I understand what he meant when he said that every walk is a sort of crusade. Perhaps in walking, we crusade against loneliness. 
Swiss modernist writer Robert Walter tells this story. One fine morning, as the desire to walk came over me, I put my hat on my head, left my writing room, or room of phantoms, and ran down the stairs to hurry out into the streets. As I walked into the open, bright, and cheerful street, I found myself in a romantically adventurous state of mind. The morning world spread out before my eyes, appeared as beautiful to me as if I saw it for the first time. Everything I saw made upon me a delightful impression of friendliness, of goodliness. I quickly forgot that up in my room, I had only just a moment before been brooding gloomily over a blank sheet of paper. All sorrow, all pain, and all grave thoughts were as vanished. Walking. Obviously, eventually, we have to come in from our walk. And then what? Number two, read. I know many of you will fill out this remedy for loneliness with suggestions for newscasts, podcasts, social media, TV, and movies. I don't know enough about other media to speak with authority, but I can attest to the power of reading as a stay against loneliness. In reading, we enter another world, and if we're lucky, we're in the very good company of characters and stories to companion us. Maybe if you're lonely, it would help to read about others who are lonely. I commend to you Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. But a trip to the library, either in person or online, will yield countless books to comfort and uplift. The only time in my life I traveled alone for any significant period of time, I was a stranger in a strange land, but I was never lonely. I had books. I'll add that joining a group of people who might like to discuss what you're reading is a special way to feel connected and seen. Each Monday at four o'clock, an open group of us gathers in the Arlington Street Zoom room to read poetry together. You can bring a poem to share, or you can just listen and join the conversation, or not. I started this group at the top of the pandemic lockdown and named it Poems to Go On, because in those difficult days, I wanted to keep us together and believe that poetry might comfort you as it comforts me. I'm positive that some of us showed up in the Zoom room just to see and be seen. For some, the subject was a deterrent. But many of us stayed, including reformed former poetry haters. Arlington Street has two other online book groups, and I know others of you belong to others. I say, if you're lonely, get thee to a book group. Whether or not you think you're interested in the book, the group is always about more than the book. Number three, a third tool in our toolbox against loneliness is art. Art, including music, of course, is an answer to that, that hallmark of loneliness, the longing to feel part of the whole engaging the work through others have expressed their deepest emotion, including loneliness. 
In their book, Art as Therapy, philosopher Alain de Botton and art history John Armstrong write, art holds out the promise of inner wholeness. It can save our lives through opportune and visceral reminders of balance and goodness that we should never presume we know enough about already. One of our major flaws and causes of unhappiness they continue is that we find it hard to take note of what is always around us. We suffer because we lose sight of the value of what is before us and yearn, often unfairly, for the imagined attraction elsewhere. Art gets our attention. And as American writer James Baldwin said, only an artist can tell what it is like for anyone who gets to this planet to survive it. Olivia Lang adds, art has some extraordinary functions, some odd negotiating ability between people who never met and yet who infiltrate and enrich each other's lives. It does have a capacity to create intimacy. It does have a way of healing wounds. If I sound adamant, she continues, it is because I am speaking from personal experience. When I came to New York, I was in pieces. The way I recovered a sense of wholeness was not by meeting someone or falling in love, but rather by handling the things that other people had made, slowly absorbing by way of contact the fact that loneliness, longing, does not mean one has failed, but simply that one is alive. Number four, choose your people. Social psychologist Bella DePaolo, author of How We Live Now, Redefining Home and Family in the 21st Century, conducted a series of huge national surveys asking participants about their social lives. How often did they socialize? How often did they help out with rides or errands or something around someone else's house? Did they also offer advice, encouragement, or emotional support? Did they receive similar support in return? Today, nearly half of all American adults are single. One in seven lives alone. And the evidence points to the fact that pairing up romantically comes at the expense of other relationships. Single people spend more time connecting participating in communal activities and civic events. Across every demographic, single people are taking the lead in creating, sustaining, and strengthening the ties that bind us, cultivating large, diverse social networks with measurably more zeal than those who are married. They care for others who have fewer resources, go out to dinner more often, take more music and art classes, and overall, the research says that those of us who rely on multiple close relationships for emotional support, commiserating, cheering up, celebrating, are more satisfied with our lives than people who lean on just one person. Consider Dan Sheffy, about whom I first read in a New York Times story featuring him and four friends who purchased and gut rehabbed a five-story brick townhouse in New York's East Village, 
Beth Johnson, a rental tenant on the second floor, calls it a vertical block. Their annual holiday party happens simultaneously on all five floors. There are some 300 guests. But what really caught my attention was a follow-up article about Dan's 50th birthday when he threw himself a party. His parents, siblings, and friends from all times and walks of his life were there. He told them how much they meant to him, how happy he was to see all of them in one place. Don Sheffy has been single his entire life. My most important family, he says, is the family that I've selected and brought together. All of this is to say that family has become a do-it-yourself choice. The people we call our people are not necessarily related to us. And that is very good news. We can choose our people and choose the end of loneliness. And finally, number five, give away your loneliness. This advice comes from Amy Perrin, a 39-year-old occupational therapist living in England. I suddenly found myself in a new city, 200 miles from friends and family. I did the dreaded lingering in the car park on a Friday after work, knowing I wouldn't speak to anyone again till Monday. I felt embarrassed to be lonely. It wasn't something that was talked about, she says. Amy took a pottery class and joined a gym, but couldn't get out of her own way to make friends. And then she hit on the idea of reaching out to people who were lonelier than she was. Through a charity called Contact the Elderly, she started a monthly tea party. Through volunteering and meeting other volunteers, she says, I built my confidence. And when I got to work on Monday, I was able to connect with colleagues. I had something to talk about. Shifting my focus toward other people meant my mood improved. I had a purpose and a mission to help other people feel less lonely. Beloved spiritual companions, to close, these words from Olivia Lang's The Lonely City. As to how to inhabit loneliness, there are no rules, nor is there any need to feel shame. Only to remember that the pursuit of individual happiness does not excuse our obligations to one another. We are in this together, this accumulation of scars, this physical and temporary heaven that can take on the countenance of hell. What matters is kindness. What matters is solidarity. What matters is staying open. Walk, read, engage art, choose your people, give away your loneliness. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. 
I bow to the divine in you. These words are from the Harry Potter Alliance, activists for equality, human rights, and literacy. Here is how we move forward. Keep loving, keep fighting, celebrate story, laugh, dance, sing with your friends, with strangers, with every single person who keeps showing up when the world tells them not to. Resist hatred, resist cynicism, know that none of this is foolish, know that it is necessary. Give love and light to those around you and those around the world. Be excellent to each other. Be good. Always, always, always. The weapon we have is love. Wands up. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.